to the Lord's house today. We're happy that you're here. Listen to these words from Psalm 113. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and even forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. We're going to commence our service by singing hymn number two. Please take your hymnal and turn there. Number two, praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, who like we his praise should sing. Let's stand and lift our voices and our hearts to God in praise. Let's come to the Lord now, please, in prayer. We will ask for His blessing upon our service and pray that our hearts will be settled still before the Lord today. Father, we enter into Thy most holy presence this morning. Once more, we are here by grace, by Your mercy and kind hand upon us, We have been brought, Lord, through another week, and here we are to begin a new week of worship, of praise and thanksgiving. 
And dear Father, I pray that at the very commencement of this service, we be very conscious of the help of the Spirit of God, for we need that help now. And that, Father, as we have come to worship in the Savior's precious name, that He will be exalted today. That as we lift our hearts and our hands and our voices in praise, that, Lord, Thy holy and great name would be magnified through us. Though we are weak and we are sinful vessels, we're only saved, Lord, by Your divine and sovereign grace. And we know that we're here today only because of the work of Christ in our hearts. And therefore, we lift our thanksgiving. We lift our praise. We'll say, as the psalmist did in 113, from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Father, we ask today that it would please You to come and have mercy in salvation some soul in this meeting, someone watching online today, would be greatly gripped by the Word of truth, and they would be brought to faith in Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us who know the Lord, we would be built up in our most holy faith, that we would walk by faith and not by our sight that the work of the Spirit of God in us would be conforming us more and more to the likeness of Christ, that we, Father, would be less like ourselves and more like Him. And I pray, Father, that whatever trials or difficulties, spiritual problems are going on in the hearts of Your people, that today there would be blessing upon blessing, direction given, we might rejoice in all that Thou hast done for us. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To His feet our praises bring today. Lord, hear this our prayer. Encourage our hearts. Bless our nation. Remember our land. We pray for the gospel going forward with great power across our nation. We ask that we as the people of God would be revived in our heart, that we would walk in truth, that we would always reflect the holiness of our God, and our testimonies would not in any way hinder the advancement of the gospel, but we would be used, Father, for the extension of Your kingdom. Help us today. Bless us in every detail of our worship. In Jesus' holy name we ask. Amen. We'll praise the Lord again by singing Psalm 100. And you'll find the Psalms at the back of our hymn book. Psalm 100. Today is a special day for us as we are marking the 46th anniversary of the commencement of our church here in Toronto, all the way back on July the 4th, 1976. And so we acknowledge thanksgiving to God. And this psalm that we're going to sing now is one of those that, well, 
It does us good to lift our hearts to God. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth. His praise foretell. Come ye before Him and rejoice. Let's stand again as we worship. seated. Amen. We're reading, please, for our congregational reading this morning from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. The book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. Reading from verse 15 to the end of the chapter. But as he which hath called you is holy, 
So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear, forasmuch as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. We know the Lord will always bless His word to our hearts, and this portion of Scripture is well worthy of our thinking and our double thoughts and certainly of our memorization. Uh, there are powerful truths here, and as we think upon the work of our Lord Jesus and of all that God has ordained through Him, then it gives us cause for great thanksgiving today and great rejoicing in Him. We welcome you all today once more to the Lord's house, and if you're visiting here for the first time, maybe you've come back again to be with us. We want you to know you're very, very welcome in the Savior's precious name. We're very happy to have Mr. Frank Diderno with us this morning, his wife Clarissa, and also young Franco. A very special welcome, brother, to you today to our service. And our brother Diderno will be now officially beginning his year of internship with our congregation here in Toronto. And so we are excited about that. And I would encourage you and ask you all to remember our brother in your prayers. Remember his wife, Clarissa, and their little boy. And as they get to know you in the congregation, you get to know them. Well, we want to encourage you to remember them in prayer, remember the ministry of our brother, and as he gets more involved here in the church, and we are assistant to him, we hope that he will also be an assistance to the congregation here. 
A word of thanks to all of our helpers that made our Canada Day barbecue a very special time, and it was a great opportunity of outreach in the, among the neighbors and friends that you have. And I want to thank you all for inviting many people uh, to that uh, special day. It was good fellowship, and we were really concerned that the weather was going to hold out for us. But though it was overcast, there was not a drop of rain, and we're very thankful to the Lord for giving us a good day. And the barbecue went well. The time of fireworks afterward was a little added treat on top of all that. So a word of thanks to our brother Jonathan McAnally, who really headed that up and to all of the workers and helpers that were involved in taking part of making the day a very, very good success. So we're thankful for that. As you can see, the communion table is set before us this morning. And so at the conclusion of this service, we'll be remembering the Lord's death in His own appointed manner. And if you are saved by the grace of God, if you know Him, then you are welcome to have fellowship with us around this table at the end of the service. If you do not not know the Lord, if you're not saved, you're welcome to remain in the service, but we would ask you not to take, please, of the bread or or the cup that reminds us of the Lord's broken body. Our pre-service prayer time today is at 5.50 in the basement and our evening service at 6.30. And I want to continue in our study of the book of Daniel. We're thinking of chapter 4. I've broken it down into three parts of looking at chapter 4. Last Lord's Day evening we did chapter chapter 4, the first part, and we want to look at part 2 today. And so please... Let's be in prayer about that. Monday evening is going to be the recommencement of our sports fellowship in the gymnasium of our school. And if you would like to come along, you're very welcome to do that from 6 to 9. And there will be badminton and other activities. You're welcome to come along and be a part of that. Mr. Jew is heading up that work. And so if you want to have any questions, you can ask him and he'll be able to help you. Wednesday night, our prayer meeting and Bible study, and Brother James Fraser will be taking the meeting on Wednesday night, and then next Lord's Day, there will be our regular service at 11 in the morning, and our evening service at 6.30, and our brother Frank DiDerno will be uh, speaking at both of those meetings. Well, today is one of those occasions And I would like Mrs. McClellan, if you would please come to the front here at this time. This is one of those occasions we often use the words a happy and a sad event. And it's a happy one only because we are able to make public recognition to someone who is very, very worthy of it. But it is a very sad occasion, as you will learn in just a moment Please come over. You stand right here. Mrs. McClellan, of course, as you will know, is known as Nan in the congregation to many of us, and she is my beloved mother-in-law, and so I have to say all kinds of nice things about her today. I would say them anyways, I can guarantee you that, but this is a very special occasion today. Over the years, we have joyfully acknowledged the faithful music ministry of Mrs. McClelland. 
We did so at our 20th anniversary, and I don't know how many of you are still here from that time. That's 1996. We acknowledged again at the 40th anniversary in 2016. And then we didn't want to miss last year because it was our 45th anniversary of the church, and so we paid just a very uh, modest tribute to our dear sister, I've always said to her, and I know others have as well, as long as you are able, we want you to continue playing the organ and being involved in the music ministry, and she has been happy to do that. But just a few months ago, she came to me and said, I think it's time. She felt that her fingers were not moving and working just as well as they used to in the past, and she did not want to be any hindrance in the ministry of the work of God, and so it was decided that today, very close to the anniversary of July 4th of the starting of the church, that she would officially retire as the organist in the church. The decision has not been an easy one for Nan to make, as she has always loved serving the Lord, and has testified a number of times that she enjoyed every single minute of the opportunity that she had. So really today marks the conclusion of an era of service, and once again we pay tribute to a very special lady for her diligence, for her faithfulness for her reliability, the excellence that she has done in her service. But you know, on top of everything else, it is really the spiritual approach that she has taken to this ministry. That is so essential. In any public work that we're doing for the Lord, it is so important that we have the right spirit. It was no easy work. If you're involved in any kind of musical ministry, you will know that you have to be on task always. And the desire to do the best in aiding public ministry and worship, it's always been a part of the heart of Mrs. McClelland as she has approached that. But you know, it's so much more than just the Lord's Day services, which are great and a great responsibility. But it has been her willingness to play at the Sunday school, at the weddings that we have had here, at the funerals, at Whitfield graduations, the Good News Bible Club, special music for choirs and soloists. And many of these were very challenging. And so hours and hours of practice had gone in behind the scenes. And each time... And every meeting, it was always done with all of her heart. Not only was she willing at a moment's notice to play the organ or the piano, but she carefully helped to choose the tunes thoughtfully and prayerfully, as sometimes the tunes in the hymn book are ones we don't know, and so we have to alter them. And she always did this so carefully Often she helped me when I was looking for a hymn 
and I couldn't find it, and she would search through other hymn books and was able to find it for me, never complaining, always willing and always happy to do whatever she could. Really, the words that Paul spoke about Phoebe would be so applicable here, a servant of the church who labors for the Lord. And so, it is my honor and great privilege to express to Mrs. McClellan the heartfelt thanks from our session, our board, the congregation, for faithfully serving in this ministry of our church. For 46 years, she has used her God-given talent for the glory of her Savior. And so we therefore want to present a plaque today. And let me read the wording of this for you. Presented to Mrs. May McClelland on your retirement from the music ministry of Toronto Free Presbyterian Church, 46 years, 1976, 2022. With grateful thanks from the session, board, and congregation for your faithful service in the cause of Jesus Christ. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. We also have a little something here. A lady always enjoys some flowers. And then we have a, a very small gift to just to help you to remember this day. Little Mamat. Oh, yes. What can I say? I'm going to have to give you this because we don't have the microphone oh. today. Go ahead, you just stand up. Thank you so much. This is beyond what I deserve because I tell you what Larry has said, I have enjoyed every minute of it. The Lord gave me that little task to do, and it's been my privilege to do it all of these years. And I thank you for the encouragement that you have been to me many times, many of you. What a joy. That hymn that we just sang, Ransomed, Healed, Restored, Forgiven, who like we, his praise should sing. That's been my joy, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I am going to miss it, and it's not because I want to retire, but it's called age, A-G-E. <laughs> so that's really why I'm doing it. My hands have got a little stiff, and I don't want to start making mistakes and dishonoring the Lord's work. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. I'll tell you what, do you want me to hold these here for yeah, you? Yeah, just till I get done, I'll pick them up maybe. Okay, very good. I'll put that here. Yeah. Well, this is a very special and a, a tearful time. I was thinking about the, the hymns, the opening hymn, Psalm 100. These are favorite ministries that Mrs. McClellan has enjoyed playing over the years. And so we are very, very happy. And I'm very happy to do this today, too, because, you know, 
I might get my favorite dessert out of this as well. So this is a double blessing for us today. It's a very good and a special time. Let's sing again, please, to the Lord's praise at this time, number 351. 351. I lay my sins on Jesus. Let's stand, please, as we sing. Please turn to John chapter 14. As you're turning up there, don't want to forget the young adult, young people outreach, outing rather, this coming Saturday. The details you will have received in an email. And I want to also encourage you We have the latest copy of the LTBS magazine, and those are on the tables at the back. Please feel free to pick up one of those when you leave today.
John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 15. Jesus said, If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away, and come again unto you. If ye love me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto my the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence." Bow, please, for prayer. Father, write these words upon our hearts. Give us understanding. Apply the truth 
to each one of us. Hear our prayer. Give me help in speaking the Word today. For we ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to draw your attention, please, to verse number 30, the last phrase where Jesus said, For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The sinless Christ. That's what we're thinking about this morning. The sinless Christ. It was Shakespeare who coined the phrase, Parting is such sweet sorrow. The intention, of course, was to capture the emotions of sadness, disappointment, and yet tender love. These things are all experienced when you have to say goodbye to someone that you love. Beyond any doubt, the greatest example would be when there is a death in the family, the death of a husband or a wife, of a child, a relative, a loved one, a parent, a mother, a father. And these emotions were boiling over in the disciples of Christ. As He told them of His pending suffering, death, and departure from them. In verse 28, Jesus said, Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, ye would rejoice, because I said, I go unto my Father, for my Father is greater than I. The Lord told them in advance, so that when it happened, it would not be a shock, they would not be overly surprised, and overcome with unbelief but they would be armed with the knowledge and they would believe that everything that Jesus Christ had spoken was true, that every word of God was right and accurate, that all would come to pass. Every Old Testament prophecy that spoke of Messiah was accurate to the fine detail and Christ was the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. But our Savior was not going to leave them empty-handed. He gave them the gift of peace, His peace. He gave them the Comforter, the indwelling Paraclete, the Spirit of God. But His time of earthly teaching was drawing very much to an end. Not much talk would He give them until the cross. He said these striking words following that in verse 30, uniquely applying them to the Son of God, for He said that the Prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in Me. 
a profound statement, a striking statement, a shocking statement for who would be so bold to make a statement saying, the devil has nothing in me? Would anyone here utter such a statement? I want to look this morning at how Christ would make this statement and how it proved the sinlessness of His life and how it was vital for our eternal salvation. So we learn, please, in the first place about Satan's relentless attack on the Son of God. Satan's relentless attack on the Son of God. For Jesus said, the prince of this world comes. The term prince, it is normally a royal title of honor. But when it is here applied to Satan, it is not one of honor because Satan is the personification of all evil. The term prince of darkness is not found in the Bible, but it has been attributed to the poet John Milton as he wrote Paradise Lost. But it no doubt is taken from various scriptures. Ephesians 2 verse 2 speaks of the prince of the power of the air. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, Paul spoke of the God of this world. And in our text, Jesus names Satan as the prince of this world. From the time that Satan was cast out of heaven for his rebellion against God, and he was condemned to eternal destruction, though he was given some degree of latitude in the earth to move as a spirit. And he has been hard at work from the time of Adam and Eve, coming all through the centuries, right down to the coming of Messiah, the Son of God. And he was in his element. He was working with all his energy and power to overturn God's purpose in the redemption of mankind. And so the coming of Christ to the earth, it was the opportunity to face the Son of God on his own turf, on his own ground, so to speak. And so, from the attempts to kill Jesus when he was born, that decree going out from Herod that all children two years of age and under would be destroyed, would be killed, the time he took Christ out into the wilderness in the great temptation, attempting for him to throw himself down from the pinnacle of the temple, attempting to get him to fall to some of his blandishments, and therefore he would be unqualified for the work of redemption. And that attack that Satan had, and the multiplicity of those attacks, they continued all through the life right down to the time of Gethsemane and the cross. 
It's not possible for us to comprehend the relentless attack upon Christ as He walked and lived as a man. And I would say this to you, if the testimony applied to Him that never a man spake like this man, then certainly never was a man tempted as this man. You think sometimes your temptations are fierce and strong and hard? And they may well be. But friends, you have faced nothing to the degree of the temptation that our Lord Jesus Christ faced. And while the attack on Christ and His work, they were persistent all the way through His life, there is a truth conveyed in our text that tells us that Satan was mounting every form of power that he had right down to the very end as Christ would go into the Garden of Gethsemane and from there he would be taken to the cross. All the forces of hell, all the powers of the underworld, every demon and devil that could be brought to the forefront was engaged in that battle against Christ. And Jesus knew it was coming to Him. And yet He stands to make this declaration, the Prince of this world comes to Me, and He has nothing in Me. Friend, today, if you are born again, then you can give thanks from your heart for a sinless Savior because His sinlessness is absolutely essential for your salvation. You could never be in heaven today if it was not for our Lord's pure and holy and spotless life. This should encourage us greatly in our Christian walk because we need never be surprised when the devil comes to us with his tempting sounds and voices, when he comes to us to place something in front of us. But it should encourage us always to be ready, uh, be watching, be armed by the Word of God and to go forward only in the power of the Holy Spirit, resisting the devil because he will flee from us. Why? Because of our strength or power or energy? No, friend, but because our Savior today has won the victory and is gloriously set at the right hand of His heavenly Father. Satan comes with his relentless attacks as he did against Christ, so he will do against Christ's people. Please notice, the second thing that we will learn today from this is of our Lord's willingness to endure the humiliation of repeated temptation. 
our Lord's willingness to go through, to endure, to suffer the humiliation of being bombarded with repeated temptations. You know, for us, temptation and falling to it, it's as normal as breathing, sad to say. It's part of our depraved nature. And even though we have been redeemed, we can still fall to the temptations that are set in front of us. And we know the Scripture that says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There, none righteous, no, not one. That is, all that are born of Adam. But have you ever been in your life accused of something to which you are innocent? It's bad enough when someone that we don't know makes that accusation, but someone that we know, maybe a person that has been close to you, they have accused you of something that you are categorically not guilty of. You are innocent, and yet you're being charged with a crime. And it's a great affront to your character. It is a great insult to you because you look at the person who is giving that to you, that charge, and you would assume that they would know you better, they would have a better judgment of your character, and you have been on the receiving end of that. And it's, it's hard. It's hurtful. It cuts right down to the very core of your being because you know you're innocent, and yet they are accusing you of sometimes a very, a very hard crime. When that happens, oftentimes relationships are damaged. Feelings and friendships are almost irreparably damaged. And yet, my friend, I say this to us all, upon our quiet reflections, is it not true that though in that one point we might be 100% innocent, yet there are a thousand other things that we are definitely guilty of and we have offended in, we are by no stretch of the imagination guiltless. We therefore have great difficulty entering in, an impossibility of entering into the life of our Lord and the great attack upon His character, His person, His holy being. It was a charge, an insult by the devil against Him and His work that cuts so very deeply. For our Lord came to His own people, and His own people rejected Him. His own people charged Him with being possessed of a devil. They charged Him with being born of fornication, accusing His mother of adultery. They accused Him of being a deceiver, a liar, a cheat. There is virtually not a sin that they did not charge our Lord Jesus with. 
But as the Son of God and the Son of Man, He is holy and harmless and undefiled. He is separate from sinners. Oh, yes, we know our Lord associated with sinners. I'm thankful about that today because He's associated with me. But He never associated in the sin of the sinner. No, friend. There was no sin in Him. For every thought was absolutely pure. There was never a lustful thought in the heart of Christ against a woman. There was never a thought of envy or bitterness. The Lamb of God, He knew no sin. Now, now don't misunderstand. Of course Christ knew what sin was. Of course He knew that sin was the transgression of the law of His Father, but He never knew sin by the sense of committing a sin or of an offense. He did not break a single law. And yet He endured the repeated subtle suggestions and outward attacks that He was a sinful man. And of all the events that happened, when we come to the most major events of Gethsemane, and the attack against His person of being unworthy of the task that was in front of Him, that He was unable to meet the measure of the cross, those subtle attacks, friends, we know nothing about. It was a war going on between all the forces of hell against the pure Son of God. And He endured them all. He was the just that was put in the place of the unjust. And He took it all patiently with humility and meekness, and while all along knowing that Satan had nothing in him. This teaches us that if our Lord and Savior endured such a fight of affliction, being innocent of all sin, then how much more should we be ready, prepared, when those accusations come, and not to stand on our pride, not to stand on the how dare you say this about me sort of an attitude. No, friend, but rather to pray that the Spirit of Christ would be that which motivates, that which directs us, that which helps us and let us pray that His Spirit will rest on us. Not to fret when evil people surround and accuse. Let us walk more by faith, keeping our eyes 
upon our Lord. Let us stand for Him and stand with Him, no matter what the charge. Let's all be careful not to proclaim our innocence when we are guilty. And remember that the grace of God's God is sufficient at all times, even when we have been wrongly accused and when we must humbly repent and seek for forgiveness. So we learn from this text about Satan's relentless attack against the Son of God and about our Savior's willingness to endure the humiliation of repeated temptation. And in the third place, we learn this, the necessity of Christ being proved by the most extreme testing. Necessity of our Lord being proved. Some of you will know that there are dedicated laboratories designed to test the strengths of cement and of steel to determine what is the stress point at which the concrete will collapse or the steel will bend and break. Mechanical engineers, they use very complex calculations to determine stress loading to find out how much steel is required to be sure that the bridge won't collapse under the maximum load. And most times they get it right. The claim that Jesus was the sinless Son of God and qualified to be the Redeemer of God's elect, it had to be more than a statement. It had to be proven. And therefore, throughout the life of our Lord, testimony had come in by those who were His friends and those who were His enemies. The common people, you'll remember, testified that Jesus, He has done all things well. Now, that's a simple statement. But even in its great simplicity, Quite frankly, no one could say that about you. No one would say that about me, that I have done all things well. Well, we hope that we've done some things well. We hope we have done a lot of things well, but no one has done all things well. This was a testimony of those who received His witness. And what about Pilate? We know what Pilate said when he was supposed to give judgment against Jesus Christ. He said, I find no fault in Him. He is an innocent man. And even Roman law can't condemn an innocent man. Pilate was no friend of Christ. And our Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees that accused and attacked Him, He looked at them straight in the eye and He said, Which of you convinceth me of sin? What a statement. What a challenge. Oh, they had charged him with a lot of 
foolish things, but they could not be substantiated. They couldn't be proven in a court of law. They had to find imposters to bring false charges against the Lord, and ultimately Jesus had to give them the wording whereby they could condemn Him because they could not find any that were just and right. And we have all the statements that the apostles have made in the writings of the New Testament, and they emphasize over and over again. We read in 1 Peter chapter 1 that Christ is without sin. There is no sin in Him. And our Lord Jesus made this very confident declaration about His absolute sinlessness. But this statement by our Lord in our text, that Satan has found nothing in me, it's not just, my friend, a passing comment. But I say to you again, it is the most staggering statement that could be made, a declaration that all through his life, and now in the final stages of his teaching and what he was going to do, there was no defect. There was no flaw. There was nothing of a failure of a transgression of keeping the law of God perfectly. Not one in all of his character, all of his nature. He was pure and holy and harmless. And Christ endured such affliction in Gethsemane and on the cross without wavering under the pressure of making atonement for His people. He remained innocent of all sin. Mr. Ryle said this, Let us thank God that we have such a perfect, sinless Savior, that His righteousness is a perfect righteousness, and His life a blameless life. In ourselves and our doings, we shall find everything imperfect, but in Christ we have a perfect, sinless representative and substitute. I want you to notice the fourth thing that we learned today is that because our Savior was guiltless, so we are free from condemnation. This brings joy, and it should flood the heart of every believer today. If we are in Jesus, if He is our Savior, then we know today that His sinless life has been applied to us. His perfection is ours, and we own it. It belongs to us, and it can never be taken away. When He lived for us a holy life, that holy life and the merit and value of it has been applied to us today. We are pure. We are without sin in the eyes of our holy God because Christ has obeyed perfectly and completely for us. We know we could not do it on our own, but He has done it for us. 
And my dear friends, when we think of the sinlessness of Christ and how essential that is to be applied to our hearts, how can we ignore? How could it ever be tolerated that some infidel will try to promote the humanity of Jesus but saying He was just an ordinary man, a sinful man? Such a heresy that has plagued the church throughout the centuries must be put aside. It's a lie of hell. It's not of God. It's not of Christ. His perfection has been applied to us. And we know, friends, that when our Father in heaven looks on us, He sees us through the blood of Jesus. And if you have ever tried looking through a piece of red mylar at an object that is red, it will appear white. And when God looks at us through the finished work of Christ's atoning blood, He sees us as pure and holy as His only begotten Son. Can we not say, as the hymn writer did, Oh, what a Savior that He died for me! From condemnation He hath made me free. He that believes on the Son, saith He, hath everlasting life. So, where does that leave you today? Friend, if you're not saved, the gospel word for you today is repent of your sin and flee to Christ. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Call upon the Savior. What must I do to be saved? And the Holy Spirit will reveal His Word to you. And for us who know the Lord this morning, we can be confident under all the accusations that the devil brings against us. And they are many, aren't they? Yes, he knows our weaknesses. He knows our past sins. And he is well able to bring those back to our remembrance again and accuse us. But all of those things evaporate into nothing because God does not see them anymore. They're under the blood they're gone. The sinless and perfect life of our Lord Jesus. Because you know what? When Satan comes before God to accuse us, do you know what we can say? He has nothing in me because there's nothing in the Son of God of sin or of failure. We are, friend, because of this today, eternally secure by the perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. Have you asked the Lord into your heart? Yes, you are saved by His grace. But the devil will come and be pounding at your heart, putting inside of you thoughts of doubt, thoughts of uncertainty, thoughts of maybe you didn't have enough faith when you believed, and all of these things come in. Remember what Jesus said, 
Faith as a grain of mustard seed, the very smallest amount. Faith that is placed in the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus. That is enough perfect saving faith. And we will never be in hell. Let us therefore live each day in the victory of Calvary and in the certainty that Christ is coming back again. And He's coming back to receive His people to Himself. Are you ready, friend? Are we watching and waiting for the Lord's return? Let's not be caught out, but rather be prepared and ready and be about the Master's business. Ah, we've noted today a very honorable testimony of a dear saint of God who has devoted her life to the service of the Master. And God, by His grace, has given her the years and the opportunity to serve. But you're young here today. You're not nearly up to the age of this senior lady. What are you going to do with your life? Are you going to have it consumed in self, consumed in your own aspirations? Or will you say, no, Lord, here is my life. Take my life and let it be holy, consecrated Lord to Thee. Is He not worth it? Is our Savior not worth it all? We will say today, yes, we know He is. And we want to be in the right place with the right heart to serve our Master. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Dear Father, I pray today that as we have tried to understand, we have but scratched the surface of this great doctrine and this infinite truth. And Lord, help us to take what we can, to apply what we can, and to help it, help us in our lives to live more and more for our Master. So bless us today. Save precious souls, we ask. Be with us as we come now around the table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have a closing hymn today, number 262. 262. We'll stand as we sing, and if you are not remaining for communion, please feel free to leave after the first verse.